0: Well, good morning. It's lovely to see you here. Um, this is the third of the talks that I'm doing on Vision, which are all available as podcasts on, on iTunes under Christchurch W 4 or through our website. And, um, and we're looking today at Zachariah, a great, great man, Zachariah. Um, but at the first service, I began by uh, telling them some jokes. And um, I thought I'd, I'd see which ones went down best with you. Um, one that I think they quite liked was, was this one. Uh, it was about an elderly gentleman who had serious hearing problems and uh, they, they'd lasted for a number of years. But then he went to see his doctor who gave him one of those state of the art hearing aids and suddenly he could hear everything 100% well. Uh, a month later, the gentleman goes back to the doctor and says, and the doctor says to him, um, well, your family must be ecstatic to find that you can hear properly. And he says, no, I haven't told them. But I have changed the wheel three times from listening into their conversations. (laughs) One that made me chuckle, I didn't tell them this morning, was about 90-year-old George who went for his annual physical. All of his tests came back with normal results. And Dr. Smith said, George, everything looks great physically. What's your secret? And George said, God and me are tight. For example, he knows I've got poor eyesight. So he's fixed it so that when I get up in the middle of the night to go to the garden, poof, the light goes on, and when I'm done, poof, the light goes out. Wow," commented Dr. Smith. "That is incredible." A little later in the day, Dr. Smith called George's wife, Ethel. He said, "George is doing fine physically. He's great, but I had to call because I'm in awe of his relationship with God. Is it true that when he gets up during the night and poof, the light goes on in the bathroom, and when he's through, poof, the light goes off?" Ethel exclaims, "Oh my God!" He's peeing in the refrigerator again. (laughs) That's awesome, isn't it? I love that one. Absolutely love one of them. And the only one that's really related to the talk in any way whatsoever is the final one, uh, which is about the 80 year old man who goes for his annual checkup. And he tells his doctor, I've never been better. I've got an 18 year old bride who's pregnant and having my child. What do you think about that? The doctor pauses and considers for a moment. Some of you 18-year-old girls are sort of like <laughs> going like that. You? Anyway, um, he pauses and he goes, let me tell you a story. I know a guy who's an avid hunter. He never missed a season, but one day he went out in a bit of a hurry and accidentally grabbed his umbrella instead of his gun. Uh, and the doctor continues, um, so he's in the woods, and suddenly a grizzly bear appeared in front of him. He raised his umbrella, pointed it at the bear, and squeezed the handle. And do you know what happened, said the doctor. Dumbfounded, the old man said, no. And the doctor continued, well, the bear dropped dead in front of him. (laughs) That's impossible, exclaimed the old man. Someone else must have shot the bear. That's kind of what I'm getting at, (laughs) said the doctor. (laughs) It's kind of what I'm getting at. Well, in our passage today, uh, we have Zachariah, a very, very old man, who's just discovered that his wife, who is also, as it happens, an old lady, is pregnant. And let's pray as we approach God's scripture reverently and with due fear and diligence. <laughs> Holy God, we pray today that you'll be with us as we look at the vision for this church and think about again what you've called us to, but also as we look at these extraordinary people, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and what they held on to you. Would you give us faith and increase our hope in you? In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how much you know about Zechariah, but if you open your Bibles to the, the very beginning of Luke's Gospel on page 1025 in our church Bibles, you'll discover he's the very first character that Luke announces onto the scene. I hadn't realized that before thinking about it this week. He, Luke gives a little preamble for four verses, a little introduction, and then he goes straight into talking about this man, Zechariah, the man who's worthy of opening a carefully put together gospel. He's upright, he's blameless, he observes God's commandments, he's very much like Job in the Old Testament. He's a man of great and impeccable character and yet they have a devastating tragedy in their lives, he and Elizabeth, in an era where having children was considered to be a sign of God's blessing Uh, and uh, (laughs) I'm sure that's still true today Um, in many degrees. It was just a tragedy that they were living with, and people would have said in their community, are you cursed of God that you do not have children, despite all of these amazing things that were your characteristics? So Zachariah is there, and he's been chosen for the top duty in the temple. He's a great, great guy. He's been given the highest place of honor to go into the Holy of Holies, something that only happens once a year when you're dressed in very special clothing to prevent you from being zapped from on high by God. is a very great honor. And in the middle of the temple, an angel appears at the right side of the altar, and Zachariah is understandably petrified of this situation. And the angel says to him, look, your wife's going to give you a son and you're going to give him the name John. He's going to be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's got to be a bit like Samson. He can't have wine or fermented drink, but he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God and he'll go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom to the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that the way the Old Testament finishes in the book of Malachi is on this sort of pregnant pause, saying, there's going to be an Elijah who's coming, who's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and children to the fathers. And that's 400 years ago. For 400 years, the people of God have been waiting and going, We want this thing to happen. We're longing for salvation. We're longing for deliverance. We're longing for freedom. We're hoping and hoping and hoping against hope for generation upon generation, 10 generations of 40 years down and nothing's happened yet. And Zachariah suddenly hears, it's going to happen, Zachariah. It's going to happen through you. And no less than the angel of the Lord has appeared to tell him it's going to happen. What does Zachariah do? Does he do cartwheels? Does he sing in the street? Does he go out saying, hallelujah, I've got a vision from God and I'm going to back it to the hill. Yes, Elizabeth. <laughs> Get out these clothes. Let's go and sort this one out. Let's go and have a baby. Yeah, he doesn't at all, does he? He's much more like you and I. How can I be sure of this, he says. <laughs> As in, probably like, um, yeah, uh, Angel, have you, you've probably got this one wrong. Uh, I'm an old man, uh, my wife's well on Have you seen her recently, my wife? You see, <laughs> I'm not even sure this is likely, let alone possible. Uh, and the yeah. angel answers, and you have to get his voice right for this one, I think, because he doesn't go, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> okay, something, it must have been more like, I am Gabriel. <laughs> and I, you know, I, it's a bit like in the Lord of the Rings where a guy sticks his staff down and goes, I'm Gandalf, you know, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent quite inconveniently to me to speak to you today and tell you the good news. Good news, Zechariah. Good news. Come on, <laughs> wake up. Um, until now, you will be silent and you'll not be able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at proper time. Actually, the translation probably, as, as you read through the story, probably means deaf and mute as well. Can't hear, can't speak. He's just in a forced meditation zone for nine months. How he explained it to Elizabeth, uh, <laughs> no idea whatsoever. Probably through some sort of writing. He's making signs, but he can't speak. He goes home, and his wife becomes pregnant. And remains in seclusion for five months until Mary comes and visits her. And do you remember, as we heard last week, the baby in her womb, John the Baptist, dances with joy when Mary's embryonic fetus appears before him. Tiny little baby Jesus, maybe just five, six weeks old at most, uh, causes John the Baptist in the womb at sort of six months to dance around. Amazing, precious little life of Jesus already provoking a reaction at just a few weeks old in the womb. And uh, at the end of the time, verse 57, Elizabeth has her baby. She gives birth to a son. Everyone's happy about this. Uh, the eighth day, the poor child has to get circumcised uh, according to custom. And so the, everyone wants to call him Zachariah. Uh, and his mother speaks up and says, no, he's going to be called John. Now, there's a few people here who are uh, pregnant or have had kids recently, and I I imagine that if the mother has decided in that couple that the name is going to be such and such, that's probably pretty much the end of the story. (laughs) Certainly, my experience was that that we had some arguments along the way, and then we we unitedly agreed on the decision. (laughs) Back in the day, the bloke got to decide entirely. And uh, and, uh, when Mary's trying to do one thing, the whole community kicks off. uh, When Elizabeth's trying to do one thing, the whole community kicks off and goes, You can't do that. At this point, Zachariah exercises his faith. Nine months of meditating on what the angel said to him, nine months of digesting and cogitating the vision. And he says, His name is John. He repeats the angel's words back His name is John. That's it. His name is John. And immediately his tongue is loosed and he begins to praise God. He's speaking God. He's filled with the Holy Spirit as is his child. And he prophesies. What does he prophesy? What comes out of his mouth? Well, if you compare the next verses, 67 through 79, with what the angel has said in verses 13 through 17, You'll see what comes out of his mouth in what we call the Benedictus is a refrain of what the angel said to him. For nine months, he's been cogitating and chewing on the vision. And when he's finally able to speak, it comes out of him in a form of praise. He says, I'm praising God of Israel. He's going to save his people. He's raised up salvation from the house of David. As he's promised all this time through the prophets, it's been 400 blank years, but it's coming now, guys salvation from enemies he's remembering fathers he's remembering abraham he's going to rescue us from enemies we're going to be able to serve him without fear and we'll be holy we'll be righteous and this boy you're going to be a prophet of the most high you're going to go before the lord's prepare the way you'll give people knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of sins because of god's tender mercy which is rising up and shining on everyone in the shadow of death and it will guide our feet into the way of peace What the angel said, Zechariah amplifies, proclaims, announces there's going to be someone coming who's going to bring forgiveness of sins and you're going to prepare the way for him. This is God's rescue plan. It's now. We've waited 400 years, but it's coming. Hallelujah, says Zechariah. He's heard the vision, he's digested the vision, and he's spitting out the vision for everyone to hear, and everyone is just gobsmacked as they encounter this man praising God, and the child who grows, becomes strong in spirit, and lives in the desert for the next 30 years until appearing publicly to Israel and announcing Christ's appearance. What an amazing way of holding on to a vision Zechariah has. Last week, we looked at Mary, didn't we? And uh, she got a vision. And she received the vision, and she put it into action straight away. She said, I'm the Lord's servant, be it to me as you say. Zachariah goes, yeah, probably this one's not going to work. He goes into meditation zone for nine months, and then at nine months point, he goes, I am totally on board with this one. He prophesies into that tiny little infant what's going to happen, and that comes to pass point zero, I'm on board. Nine months, I'm on board. (laughs) Others takes a lot longer, doesn't it, to come on board with vision. We as a church have a vision, don't we? And uh, you may be well aware of it. We we have a vision to be for God, for community, and for each other, and a mission statement that talks about us being a prophetic movement of disciples who make disciples who join God, transforming Chiswick, London, and the world. Whenever I go into the, the back room of our website or Facebook pages, I'm always just or to see the people who are listening or engaging with the website from all around the world, be it South Africa or Canada or America or uh, Malaysia. There were four hits from Malaysia this morning. (laughs) People all over the place engaging with things. I've had some wonderful conversations with people saying, "Um, that podcast I listened to when I was abroad on work, it just kept me on the straight and narrow. And that person in the community who texted me at just the right time, that just helped me in. My own dear mother listens to these podcasts every week, and she's about to um, basically make her home group in church listen to them all systematically and then do the Bible study notes. Go, mum. She's turning around a little village church from sort of deadness to, to coming alive. She's quite a formidable lady, my mum, and she's, she's doing a great, great work there. People all over the place are impacted, but not just because of what we do centrally, but because of what you carry with you as Christian disciples. When you travel on that aeroplane, you sit next to that person and you're kind to them, it impacts them, doesn't it? When you go into office or back into your residential home or wherever you are spending your life places, your schools, your colleges, and you carry Jesus with them, it has an impact on them. We have absolutely no idea what the world would look like if you took the Christians out of it in one go. But I could give you a clue. It would be horrific. It would be utterly horrific. Let's work a little bit through the vision points, and I'll bring that out as we go on. So point one in the vision. Our first point of our vision is that we want everyone to know that they're loved, accepted and valued by God, don't we? Where does this come from? It comes from the Gospels. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, needed to know that he was God's son, whom he loved, with whom he was well pleased. That's what perfect Jesus needed. That's what you and I need every day. I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm valued. I'm loved, I'm accepted and valued. You're my son, I love you, I'm pleased with you. I love you, I'm pleased with you. And we just long for the people in this area to know that, don't we? Occasionally I'm praying in here, I can remember three, four years ago, praying in here, looking out on the high road and just imagining people walking along like skeletons walking along the pavement there, spiritual skeletons. And then God's word going out to them and flesh coming on, his spirit going into them and them coming alive. And we see this, don't we? time again just uh, last week someone came into the meeting place during one of the children's activities came up to maggie fear uh, and said i'd like to become a christian please it's like quite nice isn't it (laughs) we have a thousand visits a week now through the church through the different activities uh monday through sunday and this one lady was one of those thousand she came in like to become a christian she's from iran muslim background says i want want to know about jesus "Why, why do you want to know about jesus i asked her said, I went to a church in Liverpool where my sister attends. And when I went and I started crying, I want to know what it's about. Um, so I was like trying to sort of tease out whether she was just looking for a you know, visa application form or something. And uh, so I said, oh, come on Alpha tonight. So she came on Alpha that evening, got prayed for at the end of the going for wholeness evening uh, and got anointed with oil. She came back the following week to Alpha and said, I felt peace all week. I told her the story of the prodigal son, how he got forgiven by the father. She said, "I've never heard of a God like this before. I just want to know a God who loves me and forgives me, and will reinstate me and heal me, not just some demanding despot." That's my words. She used "despot." <laughs> but I want someone who is there for me. Because the meeting place was open, she came in. She knew now that she's loved. She's accepted and valued, and we want that for everyone we work with. We want that for the people on the tube. We want that for the school kids who are coming in this week as a whole school pile in here on Tuesday. We long for people to just have that security: I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm valued. Because when you know that, you can live your life in a way full of grace. You're not striving to achieve so that someone says you're right. You're living out a reality of being loved, and everything you do counts more. First thing, second thing: our buildings. The buildings that we have, and uh, I'm guessing that with around, I don't know, 300 odd people in the church, probably 190 family units in the church, we have 193 buildings in this church. (laughs) All our homes, plus the Mission Hall, plus St Albans, plus Christ Church. We want our buildings to be places where the whole community can meet, make friends, live life better, and meet with God. We long that each 193 of these places our sanctuary areas where people encounter God, and especially these places of prayer where we come together in. And it's just beautiful seeing how that's working out with meeting place, Friday lunchtime at St. Albans, the anonymous groups that meet at the mission hall, people coming in all the time saying, that was special, that was different. I went to a children's party yesterday. We had three children's parties in our households um, this weekend. I'm sure that Zechariah didn't have to take John the Baptist to party after party after party. just sent him to the desert, didn't he? But anyway, we have to go to party after party after party. I went to one party. Someone came up to me like we were long-lost friends. Couldn't remember ever seeing her in my life. We have uh, Jenny Eastwood for that. She remembers everyone. I remember almost no one. It's well beyond my capacity, the 1,000 people. But she was um, she, like, oh, yeah, yeah. and I was like see so you 're a school parent, I used to no no so how do you know that the kid whose birthday is? I met him at the church. in fact, all my friends I met at the church we come on a Wednesday afternoon and it's Thursday morning, Monday morning, whatever and that 's where I met all my friends in chiswick and we 're still friends today, and the boy's turning four and it's, uh, it's beautiful isn 't it Caroline who 's in the crèche she could Hopefully you can hear this. Um, she's brought all of her NCT group along on Tuesday afternoon. And they all meet in here. There's a new baby class. She's started a whole little mini revival in babies in church. <laughs> and some of her friends are like, I'd never have come to church before. But suddenly she's in this safe place, a safe zone. And God's ministering to them. We see people coming in saying, this place is different. And this lady at the party said to me, what you do at Christ Church at Turnham Green changed my entire perspective on institutional religion. <laughs> I see you're helping people. I said, oh, did you know what we do on Monday nights after Christmas? We've got all these people. Sleep. She said, I know about that. It's amazing. You have all these people sleeping in church as well, don't you? The homeless and all these other things. So, oh, do you know about the youth groups? <laughs> said, do you know about the cafe? Oh, I didn't know about the cafe. You feed people as well. It's yes, five pounds. Great. Children are half price. It's an amazing thing. Come on in. Isn't it lovely to just be able to talk about good news, vision, good news, transformation, our buildings blessed in the community with space to meet God, make friends, live life better. On our third point, we see our people equipped, Monday to Sunday, to, uh, to be a movement of God. Everywhere we go, at home and in the workplace. That's why we have small groups, isn't it? Just a sort of safe place to sort of grow together in, to, to work things out. But for those who can't make safe groups, it's why we have the website, with all the resources on it, to so just keep equipping us. It's why we put on courses. It's why we have the, grow, the growth course. It's why we have the freedom in Christ course. It's why we have all these things, chances to grow in discipleship. It's why we have the weekend away, saying, come away together and grow, be accelerated. It's why I say, come to New Wine in the summer, come and camp, and get accelerated in your discipleship. It's a beautiful thing to be a movement of God, equipped for each day of the week. We want to carry God into the offices or into the schools on Monday and Thursday afternoons, every bit as much as we want to carry God into our worship times together. We believe that God can infect the whole country through the gospel, and that happens when we equip one another to live out discipleship. It's why we have fabulous lay people preaching often. It's why we have the study notes to keep going in. It's why we do courses and seasons of preaching focused on the world of work. We want it to matter every day of the week, not just on Monday. And if you're in a stage of your life when your career's flying, or when you're busy, when you've got a huge high output, then God bless you in it. We don't expect to see you here all the time. Make an impact where you are. I was chatting to one lady who's, some of you will know, she's a head teacher, and we were talking about what she could do as she retired, Just the summer, a new one. And I was just saying, and I, there was loads of things I could think of her to do. She's brilliant. She's phenomenal. And God's really working in her. But the biggest thing I could think of her to do as we talked and prayed about it was to stay being a head teacher for another 5 years. <laughs> She's having an amazing impact there. So if you are having an impact if you're creating jobs if you're changing lives then get focused on that. Make sure you've got enough backup that you're not going stale or cold. But get focused on that and change lives around you. That's part of what this church's mission is. 193 buildings plus all the workplaces <laughs> and life places and gyms invaded by God. On a daily, weekly basis. We also have a glorious vision, don't we, for children and young people, They're a very special place in the life of a church, a church that has its own soft play zone in the vestry. <laughs> it's probably focused to some degree on our children and youth. It was lovely to hear you sing to us, Rachel, and we love to have children ministering to the whole church family, but not just to the church family, into the community as well. We have a huge number of kids that we contact through church. Last week at the children's carols, 65 kids came to the carols, 92 parents. We have kids right through the week invading the building, literally all over the place. Invasion is probably the best word for it. They're just everywhere. It's an exciting, wonderful thing. We have youth group on Thursday and Friday night that have been taking off wonderfully and great soul survivor trips. And we also have deep needs in the community. And Chris is going to come up um, and uh, just mention one of those needs. Because we, we want to be a church that isn't just focused on the young people we've already got, but on impacting those around us and out in the community. And Chris is gonna talk about one of the things that we've been doing to support.
1: Morning. Um, I'd like to say a little bit about St. Margaret's. Um, when a child is fostered, when they reach the age of 16, they have to leave. Um, my grandson is 17 and no way could he be out on his own in the world. So St. Margaret's takes young people in between 16 and 18, and they have their own room, they have their own um, cooking facilities, and they look after themselves, and it's just a step towards being on their own. And um, last week... My little granddaughter put her arms around me and gave me a great big squeeze. A few days later, a little girl at St. Margaret's put her arms around me and she put her head against my chest. I'm sorry, I'm going to cry because I always do. Um, and she said, thank you so much. My granddaughter has buckets and buckets of toys, clothes... Ballet, gym, and this little girl has nothing. Some of them arrive at the home, only the clothes they have on, and it's very heartbreaking. And um, this little girl gave me some cards, and they're all thank you cards. And if I can just read from one of them, um, and it's to the church, not not me. Uh, Thank you for all your support. All you have done has really meant a lot to me and also the many residents who live with me. I may never see you, but you have a bright soul for sharing your time with us just to help us. And I feel that they're not lucky having our help. We're lucky being able to help them, that God's given us a a kind heart to, to do things for them, to help them. And um, there's some of these thank you cards um, will be put up at, at the church, at the end there, and um, so you can all read them. And um, and on behalf of all the young people, thank you very much for for what you've given. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Chris. She uh, picks up all of the food each week and takes it down to the hostel. And actually, I think. Chris's own family supplements it enormously. Um, We'll be giving the cash collections of all the Christmas services to St. Margaret's Hostel this year. And if you want to put food in, do put it in the food banks uh, at the back of both this building and St. Albans Church, where we do collect for food on a a daily basis uh, for these places. So we long to see children ministering to the whole church family. It's lovely when the likes of Tom, who's celebrating his birthday, preach to us. He preached last summer. And uh, there were two teenage boys who came into church that day. Um, one one I, I knew well because I'd done his mother's funeral, actually. And these two boys uh, engaged with Tom's preaching. And they were in different, one was at this site, one at the other site, and they both came on the Alpha course. They did all ten weeks of the Alpha course. One said he'd just really grown in his Christian faith and understanding, and I could just imagine that one really maybe becoming some sort of public minister of some sort. And the other one said that he'd moved from atheism to agnosticism and had just a really wonderful time on the course. It's lovely when we see our young people preaching and teaching and leading and singing and blessing the community and being empowered in their schools and colleges. Rebecca's doing a great job at Birmingham Uni, having an impact with the Christian Union there, doing night work and all sorts of things. It's lovely to see what God does through our young people. and We want to see an increase of that, don't we, from the smallest right through. Fifthly, and we're heading towards the end of these now, uh, we want to worship God in spirit and truth. People of all ages and all backgrounds being brought together into community. It's been lovely watching our community diversify, I think, over the last few years, seeing a broader range of people in the church. And it's just a wonderful vision fulfilment seen that happening we we have a curate arriving next year um that i haven't sort of announced publicly before because kia is doing such a great job don't want to sort of undermine his his finishing but our new curate's called dennis adidi grew up in africa moved to england at uh, 14 Uh, He's he's a very dynamic and exciting uh, guy. He's going to be a great asset to the team. He'll he'll help with all sorts of areas of church life. He he used to write film scripts and things like that before, and he's still a poet. If you want to look him up, dennis Adidi, he's got his own website. uh, As who wouldn't (laughs) these days? Um, But worshiping God in spirit and truth, I I just really wanted to ask us all a question that I won't you know make you respond to physically um right now but if on a scale of one down here to 10 up here you had to say how much you prayed into this service before coming this morning you know how much expectation you were carrying into the worship this morning how much you were longing to meet with God this morning if you were pumping and ready to go because you really prayed into it maybe you fasted for the worship in the week or something you'd be up here and if you just sort of stumbled out of bed miserable and moaning um, wondering you know why there weren't other people to carry you along because they should be doing the work for you <laughs> um, down here w- w- where are we at as a church and I do rather hope that we move more this way <laughs> people just going I'm going to pray for the services I'm going to pray for the worship leaders you get the preaching you pray for <laughs> so, you know I'm going to pray for the preacher like really hard but I-, I do wonder if maybe we pray more into the preaching actually than into the sung worship, and then our part in the worship. And we ought to be praying that we encounter God in spirit and truth as a congregation, whether it's at the traditional services, contemporary, or the really going for it 6 p.m. service where it's all like lights and bras, that sort of thing. We want to be wanting to encounter God within our own sort of framework. It doesn't have to be all happy-clappy or anything. It's just got to be heartfelt in spirit and truth. God, I want to meet you today. I don't care if your hands are in the air. I don't care if you're smiling. I don't, care. I, I don't really want you to be clapping. I'm quite against clapping in church. But, um, it's like 80s, isn't it? But, um, I, I, I'm just offending you now. But I just long for us to encounter Jesus more because we're praying saying, I'm ready, God. I want to meet you today. Wouldn't that be lovely? You walk in and you just go, wow, God's present today. Everything's changing. And our final slides. Just that God gets the glory for everything he does. As a building that people said would be flats becomes a church again. As the community come into this church, into a church that they thought was dead and closed just four years ago. Everyone around here thought this place was closed. Now there's a thousand people visiting a week. As people go into St. Albans and it opens up onto the green. As people go into the mission hall and see that it's alive and well. As people come into our homes and encounter Jesus. And workplaces we want... God alone to be the name that's remembered and glorified for all he's doing. So here's Zechariah. He has a vision from God and it takes him nine months to catch up with the vision. There was Mary. She gets the vision from God and she's straight away going, yes, God, yes, amen. And here's us. Are you a Mary, a Zechariah, or somewhere way, way, way at the end? I love Bishop Paul's story from Gerard's Cross when they did that four and a half million pound refurbishment. And it was the couple who were really against everything that was being changed all the way through. Every stage at committee meetings, at annual meetings, uh, personal letters that say, I don't think God's in this, it's too much money, we can't do this, all the way through. Others were Mary's and they were really on it. Then there was Zacharias who got on it. And almost everyone was on it and there was still this couple over here. And then the building project was completed, all done banking spanking new amazing resource for the community and for the church and bishop paul was sitting up in his upstairs office upstairs in the new build and he heard some people walking around doing an amazing vision message about what the building was for to some friends of theirs and he thought i'm going to go and listen to this and he looks down and they can't see him but he recognizes the couple who have been against the vision from start to finish telling their friends what an amazing community resource this building's become. And he said, it was the best talk he's ever heard on the vision for the place. It was was sensational. And he wisely just sat up there quietly and stored it up as a sermon illustration for years to come. (laughs) Because actually, on some levels, I don't care if you get it as a Mary or as a Zechariah or as that couple at Gerald's Cross Church. Just get it. But your blessings come a lot faster if you're a Mary (laughs) than if you're the holdouters, the cynic, the doubter. The Marys, the Zechariahs, they get to enjoy the journey. (laughs) The others just get to be a bit miserable for quite a long time. But eventually God does whatever he wants. At St. Thomas Crooks, when they did their reordering in the middle of the 1980s depression, Robert Warren, who got the odd thing wrong, but many things right, sat with his wardens when everyone's house prices were collapsing and the warden said Robert we're not going to tell anyone this but we no longer believe in the vision (laughs) and he said okay but I've got this vision from God and it's of God we're going to carry on they said you carry on Um, we're not going to say anything but carry on and nine months later the building was finished but only God gets the glory (laughs) and it's still making a huge impact on Sheffield today as they've expanded onto several sites doing wonderful things May God bless us with an increased vision for our lives, for this church's life, and for all he wants to do in radically blessing the community through you and you and you and you and you and you and
1: you and you and, you and me. Amen.